the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. Fascinating week, a lot happening. But let me do some explaining. Let me do some explaining today because... um, This is very important, and I haven't heard anyone laying this out well enough. So uh, welcome to the Pro-America Report, by the way, ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Go over there and sign up uh, for the emails that come from that. It's a sub stack, but also go to PhyllisSchlafly.com and sign up there for the um, Daily Wink. Daily Wink. All right. Um, Here's what's so interesting. As we talked about and I previewed last week, late last week on December 8th, the U.S. Supreme Court had its luncheon, uh, lunch, where the, the Supreme Court justices meet for lunch and they conference and they vote on what cases to take for review. So that's called you, you petition the court for certiori, a review. You petition the court for review. It's a, called a cert petition. Certiori is the phrase, and it's shortened to cert. C-E-R-T. You'll sometimes see that. So you file a, a, a cert petition and you say to the Supreme Court, um, hey, this is an issue that's really important. We need you to take it up. Um, there's this conflict in law. There's this um, incomplete understanding. There's this miscarriage of justice. And you file that with the court. And at one of these conferences on Fridays at lunch, they vote on this. Now, Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases are denied cert, C-E-R-T, certiori. The petition for certiori is denied. Most of them, 98% are denied. Even though people that are petitioning this U.S. Supreme Court have, you know, real serious claims. And for them, it's the, you know, be all and end all. But they just don't have enough uh, for the court to take it up. So. Uh, It is it is shrouded in some secrecy, meaning there's no minutes taken. They don't publish the notes uh, later. There may be notes that people do take. There may be tallies kept by the justices and by the uh, individuals or even. But it's not official. It's an informal setting where they hash this out. And I think to some extent they're comfortable enough with each other. They actually discuss it and talk about it and all that. So now what what we have been waiting for for a, a period of a few months was the petition for review, the cert petition in the cases of January 6th. There are three of them that have to do with uh, Section 1512, the the 
18 USC, the the code, the criminal code, Section 1512, a particular felony charge, obstruction of official proceeding. We've talked about it a bunch of times. The obstruction of official proceeding law is in the criminal code. It's in the witness tampering section. And it was passed in the period of years, couple years after Enron, almost 20 years ago. And it was designed for witness tampering and designed for uh, proceedings that had to do with evidence and have to do with uh, destroying evidence and and blocking uh, what's going on. It was not designed. And I think it's improperly being applied to the situation where uh, uh, Mike Pence gaveled out an official proceeding. And therefore, they said, aha, you protesters at January 6th or you, Donald Trump, who talked about the need to uh, pause the uh, the electoral process count to get some more uh, uh, clarity on what might have gone wrong, that somehow that gaveling out was an official proceeding that was obstructed by your gathering at the Capitol. And so up on appeal, this is gone. And it's been, you know, up on appeal from the D.C. District Court. Then that goes to the Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. And there was a kind of mixed ruling. It's not it's not exactly clear. And therefore, the Supreme Court seems like a good place to go. But you still have to get it taken up. So on December 8th, last uh, week or so, um, the Meeting took place, the luncheon meeting on the Friday afternoon, um, this review process. And after the meeting on Friday afternoon, there was one case where the court announced, yep, we're taking cert. We're taking this case. We want to hear the arguments. Get ready. And they said nothing else. And then on Monday morning, they published a document that denied cert to 100 plus cases and didn't comment on the three that have to do with 1512 obstruction official proceeding which means it's being relisted for the next time the justices get together for lunch in one of these conferences to vote on it. Now, what I didn't know, and I learned in this process, was that it is common, but not required. Remember, it's an informal process, but it's common for a matter that is going to be taken up by the court to be relisted at least once. And I think that's done because they want to give each other a chance to discuss it, to fight about it, to whatever. Again, it's informal. It's not a, a nobody. No, nobody knows exactly why this happens, but it's what they say happens. And probably because if it's controversial, it lets one of the judges write an opinion, uh, write you know, a dissenting opinion. In fact, there was a dissenting opinion. Um, RFK Jr. tried to intervene in the Missouri v. Biden case uh, that has to do with censorship. And it was denied. And um, and uh, Justice Alito wrote a two page dissent saying I would have allowed him in on this because uh, there's too much at stake. So it may be that this relisting occurs to allow some time to happen. But either way, what we now know is that. The 1512 charge, the question of whether this uh, this uh, obstruction of official proceeding and, you know, what what it's how it's being used in this matter is uh, going to be uh, taken up is delayed now until uh, the first days of the new year, the first days of the new year. In fact, it will be likely be um, the Monday. They'll they'll have their Friday conference. They'll decide it. It may or it probably won't be public. And Monday um, on the 8th of, of January, uh, just three years, almost three years to the day since January 6th, there will be a, um, uh, a, a, a statement of whether they it took cert. And then if they took cert, 
what you can guarantee is there's going to be a briefing schedule and oral arguments and a decision by June, late June of that year, but it won't be faster. And therefore you, you pro- I don't know how the judge in the, in the, in the court in DC holds Donald Trump to the, uh, to the, the schedule that they have, which is uh, I think March 5th. So this is a big deal. This is a very big deal. And, um, it means that uh, there's something going on here. That means there's something going on here. And I think um, it is likely to mean that uh, they're going to take it uh, up and uh, it could be a very big deal. And I think um, uh, the um, I think that the reality is, again, if any of these cases get taken up on appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, if they get accepted, then it's um, it's going to be um, uh, it's going to be. A monstrously big deal. And I think my bet right now is if they do this, it's just going to delay everything till after the election. And I kind of feel like that's the way it's headed, because even though you say, well, these judges and these um, uh, prosecutors are hardcore and they're anti-Trumper and they don't want to be delayed, they're still swayed by the environment that they're in and and the public and the political ramifications. And the, and that the reality is um, the the reality is um the the uh they will be swayed to not be seen as uh over the top i think i think maybe i'm wrong i may be being too optimistic i i just know that at a certain point when the winds have blown a certain way they will change how they react and i think uh, if the supreme court takes this basically the supreme court will be saying to the lower courts wait until after the election you, you just wait until after the election. You can try all these cases starting in November, uh, or December of next year, January of next year. Uh, but you can't do this now. Justice Alito's opinion in that RFK, uh, the dissent that he had filed in the RFK opinion, he basically said, you know, a presidential election is too big a deal. There's too much at stake. You know, you can't have the someone who is opposed in this case, it was RFK Jr. Uh, and Biden um, who is being silenced or being limited in his rights. And I think that's how they feel. I think that's a a big uh, way uh, to understand what's going on. So big deal could be a big deal. And again, what you need to know and what I'm trying to walk you through is what the process is and what the process is that if you have a complaint, 1512 is wrong. You take it up to the Supreme Court. You have to wait till they take cert, C-E-R-T, certiori, a petition for certiori, petition for review is what it's called. And then that cert petition is either denied or it's uh, accepted. And if it's accepted, then you have your case, you brief it and you argue it. And that's where it looks like this is headed. So uh, we'll see, though. We'll see. As I, I one of the lawyers who I really trust, who's really smart about this, said one, you know, used to be that you'd say, well, if you're going to be relisted, you're almost certainly going to be taken up. And he said, turns out in that case, it was uh, they waited to relist it so that there could be a dissent written because it wasn't being taken up. So there's no guarantees. And again, this isn't a transparent process. It's the private workings of the court. It's the private way the court is deciding what to do. Uh, and that's what's happening. So there you have it. That's what you need to know. All right. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. We've got a lot more. John Schlafly will be on. Uh, check out his work. John Schlafly and Andy Schlafly's columns are archived over at com. Well worth a close look and uh, listen to his interviews there and read the uh, archives. And we will take a break. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, visit com. Sign up for the Daily Wink and pro americareport.com to sign up for the uh, Substack updates. Be right back.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We've got John Schlafly with us. John Schlafly usually writes a weekly column and and is a intellectual uh, uh, fire, uh, uh, what do we say? Uh, let's see, uh, a power. Uh, but now, instead, he's uh, gallivanting around the world, uh, and he spent, uh, over the weekend, he was up in New York City in Manhattan uh, with, uh, not with, uh, Peekaboo, uh, not with anybody, uh, Peekaboo, Letitia James, but instead at the Donald Trump, uh, event, um, at the Cipriani, um, what is that, John? Is it a ballroom? Is that what that is famous for? Um, anyway, and the young Republicans of New York had a big dinner and John Schlafly was there and now he is down in the swamp, uh, checking in on things in the swamp. So welcome back, John. How was the event up in New York? Well, uh, Great to talk to you, Ed. Yes, it was a terrific event with uh, President Trump at one of the best, one of the finest and most spectacular event spaces in New York City, uh, which is downtown in the Wall Street area. And there were, I think, a couple of thousand people there. And uh, the president gave a terrific bang up hour and a half speech and had people excited. So that was great. Uh, John, um, what, what is that? What is that uh, space? Cipriani? Um, is that is that a, a restaurant banquet space or what is it? it is extraordinary well, imagery. Uh, Cipriani is a well-known uh, Italian restaurant banquet. Uh, they, they, I think they have a couple of different versions, but this particular space, and honestly, I don't know what the history of it is. It, it looks like it was a grand. Uh, maybe a banking hall, perhaps, because this event is actually on Wall Street. I think the number is 55 Wall Street. And uh, uh, with a coffered and ceiling with a dome in the middle and columns around, it was spectacular. Uh, several stories hall inside, uh, tall inside. Uh, and, okay. the, and it was a black tie event and everybody, everybody was festive. And, uh, every you know, almost everyone who you've ever heard of in Trump world was there yeah, to including, cheer the president, including John Schlafly. And I, I, I understand that I wasn't there, of course, uh, uh, that you had a private moment beforehand with uh, President Trump. Uh, any, any insight that he send his greetings to the pro America? Well, what impressed me was he, he looks good. I mean, oh, he's good. in good health and robust and radiant and he's, you know, they used to joke about Nixon, uh, as some of your older listeners, Ed, I don't know if you have any older listeners who remember uh, when Richard Nixon, after having been defeated, came back and people joked that the, well, it was the new Nixon. He was tanned, rested and ready. Hmm. And uh, sure enough, he was elected president in 1968. Hmm. Uh, so on his second try after he had suffered some reverses. So um uh, you know, I hate to say, you know, I'm not sure that's the best model. It isn't the best model, but it's just something your listeners might remember. Uh, John Schlafly is our guest describing his uh, uh, visit to uh, New York City uh, for the, uh, I guess it was the Young Republicans of New York, their uh, Christmas uh, celebration. With yes, which is a hundred year old, hundred year organization. And I must say it's been totally energized by the terrific leader whose name is Gavin Wax, W-A-X. So make a note of that name. I think yeah. he's going places. A young man who gave a terrific speech and is very energetically building this organization in New York. Wow. And and they're, they have ambitions of carrying New York for the president. Well, I did hear from our, our friend Cynthia Hughes, the uh, founder and the 
and the head of the Patriot Freedom Project. She also saw President Trump at that event, and, and he said to her and her husband, we're going to win New Jersey, we're going to win New York, and uh, he's feeling pretty good, as you said, uh, tan, rested, and ready. Uh, John Schlappley, last week's column, Judicial Tyranny Worsens in D.C. Um, the news out in the last uh, couple of hours, uh, the cert p- petition uh, for one aspect of the January 6th crimes, a so-called 1512 charge, um, has been relisted, which means that the justices will take it up again in early January in order to decide if they're going to hear the uh, matter. Um, the pundits are saying it's a positive development because, uh, at least in the tradition of the current Supreme Court, they relist they relist any of the requests to hear a case, so-called uh, petition for certiorari. They they generally always relist them at least once. So it's being perceived, uh, read the tea leaves, as a, a relatively good sign. But we don't know what that means. Um, but, John, your column uh, is all about, again, this you called it in, I think, the first sentence, a judicial pileup against President Trump. It's uh, it's it's extraordinary. Well, it is extraordinary. And uh you know, it would certainly break almost any individual who's beset by all this. Now, you know, you hear the pundits and they talk about uh, 98 charges, or but that's a, that's a bit of an exaggeration because they're just, you know, copies or duplicates of the same charge. I mean, there's four cases and uh, four criminal cases, plus, uh, plus the very important civil case, which Mr. Trump feels very deeply about because he's attended it personally in New York over the future of the Trump organization. So those are the big ones. And uh, um, every one of them is in the hands of, I think, a very skilled lawyer. One of the people I met uh, at the New York event Saturday night, Ed, was Alina Haba. And I congratulated Alina Haba on what a terrific job she's doing as a spokesman for President Trump in the civil case, the one that's pending in what they call New York Supreme Court, which is a little unusual. It's not the highest court, but they uh, that's where the future of the Trump organization is being decided before this completely the complete idiot of a judge. And since I'm not under a court order, I'm free to say that. Unfortunately, Mr. Trump himself is under a gag order that restricts his freedom to say what he really thinks about that uh, idiotic judge, Arthur Engeron, who's already ruled against Trump and is likely to rule against him again. So that case will fi- eventually be decided on the, by an appellate court. Uh, John, um, do you think at this point that these cases, I guess that one is sort of winding down. Uh, President Trump uh, testified, I think, early this week, uh, and but that one's winding down. And, and it's always been a strange case. It's really about like business licenses. It's not there's no uh, criminal liability. There's no personal civil liability against uh, Trump. It's a weird one. I, I, I really it's a. Uh, uh, Letitia James, the attorney general of New York, wanting desperately to try to find some way into the action. But uh, what about these other cases, John? You, you describe a judicial pileup. I, and we I mentioned the uh, the possibility that the Supreme Court may take one aspect of the uh, of some of the January 6th cases, which would impact Trump's. Do you think there's going to be trials this 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 calendar year, John? Or do you think ultimately, especially with the way the wind's blowing, meaning this is really going to be the race, it's Trump versus Biden, that they that these uh, these courts back off and you won't see this until after the election? Well, the experts have been saying uh, that the what people are calling the election case, which is the case that accuses Trump of trying to steal the 
2020 election and then to interfere with the uh, official proceeding to certify the 2020 election. That's the one that's pending before this horrible judge, Tanya Chutkin. And that's one of the two cases being brought by the the stooge for the attorney general named Jack Smith. And uh, people say that's set to go on March the 4th, and it's likely to go. But the truth is, there are several important unresolved legal matters, which, uh, if any of them are uh, challenged, and if any of the challenges are upheld on appeal, that could delay that trial. But currently, it's set for the first week in March of 2024, which is practically right around the corner. It would be in the middle of the whole primary process for the Republican nomination. Well, and it's an outrage. Trump calls that election interference, and he's exactly right about that. Yeah, I, 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 and I, John, I, I don't know John Slapley, and you check out the column. It's over at phyllisslapley dot com now. Um, uh, judicial tyranny worsens in D.C. John and his brother Andy write a weekly column, uh, well worth a close look. It, it's hard to. Um, it's hard to uh, justify um, any of this now. I mean, at this point, it's so clearly interference in the election process and the timing is even more damning. You know, John, I, I have been um, uh, bemoaning the fact that we almost need. You remember when the hostage crisis happened in Iran in the late 70s? That's when Nightline was created. Nightline was created 20 minutes each night to give an update. It was called America Held Hostage Day 22. And it was just an update on the, on the crisis in Iran. We need a, a America Held Hostage Lawfare Day 242 to track down all of these incredible lawfare. There's one after another happening to this guy who's running for president. I mean, it's just an insanity that this is allowed to occur. So, all right, John, thank you. We're out of time. Thank you, John Schlafly. We will post all that up on social media. And we will be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Our next guest, he's been with us before, is his name is Joe Allen. And he's the author of a book, Dark Eon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. Uh, he's written in Chronicles, one of my favorites. Also, Human Events, Federal, it's all over the place. He's a writer, creative guy, and uh, his book is available anywhere you get uh, books. Uh, I'm looking at it up on uh, on um, uh, Amazon. Uh, Steve Stephen K. Bannon did an introduction to that, so that tells you a little bit where he is. So, um, listen... Joe, I saw this flag for me by one of your folks, uh, Elon Musk talking about AI. And of course, Elon Musk does a lot of stuff really well, creatively, interestingly, in the middle of X, he's got Grok, he calls it, named it. It's his AI that they're going to have. There's uh, ChatGPT's gotten so much attention. He made this kind of prediction, um, a typical him, uh, that he, sort of human ending. AI is a human ending. What's going on here? And is he provocative for conversation? Is he serious in this context? What's your thoughts on this? Give me some context. Well, yes, uh, it was must have been four or five days ago now. Uh, he was at the Deal Book uh, Summit yeah. uh, hosted by the New York Times talking to Andrew Ross Sorkin. And uh, people, of course, latched on to the, uh, the fact that at the, the opening, he told Bob Iger to go F himself. Yeah, yeah. that was super cool. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that's everybody paid attention to that. But in the middle of that conversation, 
He was talking about artificial general intelligence, AGI, or artificial godlike intelligence. And twice in the conversation, he said that they are building digital god. And uh, when asked how soon uh, AGI or digital god would arrive, he uh, updated his most recent prediction uh, to say that in less than three years, we'll see artificial general intelligence. Uh, it's a very remarkable claim. So uh, I, my own view on it, views differ. I, you know, I don't think anyone really knows. He would be the first to say no one really knows when this is going to happen, if ever. But uh, I would say that my own sense is that Elon Musk is very, very aggressive with his predictions and his reasons are uh, obscure to me other than my own speculation. But my speculation is he's both very serious about his fears of the danger of this. He's also very serious about uh, sniping at his competitors at OpenAI. Then he's also very serious about positioning himself as a kind of savior, a figure in all of this. And he is himself working hard to produce AGI, to produce digital god so it's a complex situation but uh, should you expect your phone to begin issuing prophecies uh, within three years uh, it already is so uh, mm -hmm. we're already there it just isn't powered by an agi at least not an agi that anybody has openly declared well and that's what i was going to say it's one thing to get um High, high speed computers, right? Super speed uh, along with um, once you get super speed, you're going to get uh, basically, you know, Google on steroids. And, you and you know, even in the last five years, Joe, we're talking with Joe Allen again, uh, the author uh, of the book, uh, A Dark Eon, A Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. Um, and, you know, it, it, even in like five years, people would say, oh, I remember this. Oh, you know, you'll never really get dictation to work that well, you know, and suddenly now you can pretty you can get dictation and it's learning how to be better at it it's learning your foibles so it's it's better and better but that's not intelligence right i mean that's the thing here joe it's not so are, are we headed towards something when musk alludes to this that is truly transformative or or is this is the speed going to feel like it's transformative you see my point on the difference I do. I, I do think that, um, I mean, it's already been profoundly transformative. I mean, arguably, it's been profoundly transformative for the last 10,000 years. Um, and definitely, as you say, five years, over the last five years, uh, these technologies have uh, skyrocketed, everything from genetic engineering to brain-computer interfaces to the AI field uh, as a whole. So um, unless that just stops, something's going to happen, you know? It's, and, and, and even if it does stop, a lot of this transformation is going to be a matter of adoption. How how much more widely distributed does it become? How much more reliant do people become on it? Um, you know, just real quick to the question of intelligence. It is a thorny one. It's a really complicated question. Um, I, my own definition or idea of intelligence is uh, the perception of realities and the ability to perceive them through consciousness uh, that goes well beyond the brain and goes into the divine realms. Now, that's not something you want to bring up in some sort of academic dissertation and have to defend. Um, and, and certainly transhumanists or the uh, kind of uh, you know AI uh, aficionados, they don't go with that definition. Their definition, I and mean, there, there are many definitions, but the, the, the one that really uh, strikes me is one that Ray Kurzweil, for instance, goes with yeah, the architect yep. of the concept of the singularity. It's, um, uh, it's problem solving. You have a, a problem, 
you have information about the problem. Uh, what system can extract the uh, information that solves the problem? So in that regard, uh, AI, like the narrow AIs we see now that can do genome sequencing, that can do battlefield uh, reconnaissance, uh, that can pilot drones to a specific target and kill someone, uh, that is intelligence. It's just not full fleshed out intelligence. It's a very narrow cognitive module um that artificial general intelligence would be uh, a, a being a, a program that has many many domains perhaps all relevant human do domains and perhaps domains that humans don't even have again artificial godlike intelligence a, 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 an intelligence that can you know fluidly move from one domain to the other or multiple domains simultaneously um, that would be again you know, to say the least that would be profoundly transformative but um and and much more so than the narrow ais that we have right now but again let's just say tech progress plateaus tomorrow everything all of it if you take the top of the line of what we know exists right now uh, and just wait for it to become distributed across society, you already have a, a full-fledged cyborg. Uh, we're talking with Joe Allen. I buried the lead a little bit. Of course, many of our listeners will know Joe from his uh, role as a host on The War Room, uh, Steve Bannon's War Room. Uh, but he is the an author and a prolific author on, in various places. And this book is Dark Eon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity, out just a couple months ago and is actually a publication of War Room Books. Um, so, Joe, um, if it's if it's a cyborg already... Um, he, he, nobody's saying resist it. Uh, it, it and so what did, what does Musk mean, um, in his prediction that, uh, you know, that it's human ending? I guess that's sort of Musk hyperbole and, and free marketing that you pay, you start thinking about what he said. He just means that it's, it's a change, right? He doesn't mean we're ending or does he? You know, there's different ways to, to, to look at this, this idea that um, humanity is under threat by artificial intelligence. One narrative, and it is a very common one. You hear it all the time. You know, you don't have to look too far in New York Times, Washington Post, Daily Mail, or even tabloids like the, the Star uh, to, to see predictions of from, you know, certified experts, you know, godfathers of the field like Jeffrey Hinton saying these systems should they surpass human intelligence, will be a direct threat to human existence as a whole. They will kill us. They will enslave us. They will displace us. All of these sorts of things. That's right. a very, very common narrative. And it's, in fact, the narrative that is uh, the justification for uh, beefing up the federal government to become a big part of this. So that's, we'll bracket that for a moment. Uh, another way of looking at it, though, the real uh, you know, one, the, the most immediate war against humanity is the war against the very concept of the human, what a human being is. And so with Elon Musk, uh, his proposed response to the threat of uh, an AI that would enslave or kill us all or just simply make us irrelevant uh, is to upgrade the human, to become transhuman, beyond the human, and to do so by way of devices such as his Neuralink, which he hopes to be a commercial device, which, as he told Netanyahu about a month and a half ago, sometimes something like that, he told Netanyahu that uh, he thinks that if hundreds of millions or billions of people have a brain implant in order to connect their minds into a collective sort of hive mind, a sort of digital beehive, that um, that that collective would be sufficient to challenge any uh, autonomous uh, artificial super intelligence that might threaten us. So in both cases, in one, you have the end of humanity as in you have just a big pile of ash. In the other one, uh, you have the end of humanity because you now have a human being 
who is jacked into a system that can right. read every huh. neuron in the yeah. brain is the I goal. See. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fascinating, Joe. I'm sorry. I'm out of time. You know how this goes because you do it. I'm I'm up against a hard deadline. Uh, Joe Allen. Fascinating. It's really interesting. And so many of these questions. It's interesting that Joe Allen himself has a background in theology as well as technology. And uh, his book, Dark Eon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. Check it out. Forward from Steve Bannon and available anywhere you get books. We've got to take a break, everybody. And I'll put a link up to Joe's uh, social media. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Promark Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, and we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, a constitutional attorney and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. And now from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. Today is the birthday of someone who is relatively unknown to younger generations of Americans. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was born to a simple Russian family in 1918 after his father died in service to Russia in World War I. As a child, Solzhenitsyn dreamed of being a writer. Little did he know that he would one day be one of the most effective and well-known critics of the Soviet Union. He graduated from university with a degree in mathematics and physics, but soon was pulled into service for Russia in World War II. That became the beginning of Alexander's life-changing writings. In 1945, he was arrested for writing letters to a friend in which he was critical of Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin. Solzhenitsyn spent the next eight years of his life in prisons, labor camps, and in exile. He was eventually allowed to resettle in central Russia, where he taught mathematics and again began to write. His first two novels were based on his own experiences in Stalin's brutal network of prisons. In 1964, post-Khrushchev Russia brought more cultural activities restrictions, and Solzhenitsyn lost his government-approved publishing privilege. He then printed his works through an underground network. Even as his work was suppressed in Russia, the international community was clamoring for his writings. In 1970, Solzhenitsyn was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature following the 1968 publishing of two books. Then in 1973, his famous work, The Gulag Archipelago, a historical record of the Stalin-era Soviet labor camps, earned him a charge of treason and permanent exile from the Soviet Union. I suggest that you read some of the works of this towering figure who stood bravely against Soviet cruelty. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The false promise of socialism is an illusion. It devalues hard work and creativity. It's the opposite of the American dream. As proven around the world, socialism breaks the human spirit. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're standing against the rise of socialism. For more, go to phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back to the Pro-America Report. This is Ryan Height stepping in here real quick for Mr. Ed Martin. He had to run out, but told me to wrap up the show. Uh, before we do that, let me remind you, go to ProAmericaReport.com or PhyllisLafley.com. There you will find the podcast, the standalone segments for our guests and uh, all of the winks and the wrap-ups and everything else. And you will find all the links and resources to the things that we're talking about, whether it's an article, a book, uh, something like that. I promise you will find it there and you can sign up for the email email list. That'll get you the daily wink email straight to your inbox every weekday morning, uh, early in the morning, 7 a.m. Central Time and all the accompanying time zones. It will come to you with a very helpful, short bit of information and some links that you need to know for your day. Uh, but I wanted to circle back around here to something new. I don't know if Ed, I, I'm trying to recall, and I was looking at before we um, uh, before we got to this last segment here, I was looking it up trying to find out if I was uh, correct. I don't recall a whole lot of talking that we did about the Argentinian election uh, that had just happened happened our uh, new uh, seeming friend down in Argentina president Javier Malay uh, he is now officially in office and he has used his first day uh, today or I guess I should say yesterday um, to sign a decree that reorganizes government now this is something one of his campaign promises along the way was to slash the size of government, to actually cut down the number, uh, the number of government ministries from eighteen to nine. And he talked about cutting government spending and slashing ministries. In fact, he even and I'll go find it. I think the Libertarian Party of America posted it. He had a great video where he uh, he had a bunch of uh, like uh, little placards up on a on a whiteboard, or maybe they were post-it notes or something. And he was naming off the uh, ministry, these different things: the Ministry of Culture, the Ministry of of uh, Sustainable, de- uh, sustainable Development, the Ministry of this. And he would call out the name, you know, Ministry of Culture, out! Ministry of Sustainable Development, out! <laughs> As he ripped it off the page. It was good stuff. It's the kind of thing that us small uh, government advocates here in America get really excited about. And I, th- I think everyone at this point is just fantasizing about someone saying, you know, Internal Revenue Service, out! FBI, out! CIA, out! Department of Homeland Security, out! <laughs> and I think we can all uh, feel a pretty good amount of... Um, of uh, uh, happiness toward that. So, sure enough, first day in office, he has officially been sworn in, and Argentinian President Millet has, in fact, signed a decree that cuts the number of ministries in government from 18 to 9. He literally cut down our equivalent of federal agencies by 50%, cut them in half across the board. So, the the only ones that are left... Uh, are I think the Interior Ministry, Foreign Relations, International Trade and Culture, uh, Defense Ministry, Economic Ministry, Infrastructure, Justice, Security, Health and Labor. Those are the ones I think I saw. Things that you know we go down the line. Okay, this this sounds uh, like stuff that would maybe need to uh, to stay. But a lot of the ones that have to do with uh, social development, with uh, education, uh, w- you know, gender, diversity, equity, inclusion, all the all the different things, uh, gone gone and and that is absolutely the kind of slash and burn i believe truly that is needed here in america the kind of boldness that we're looking for in another leader and again i hope that another term of donald trump or or uh you know future terms of anyone else could accomplish some things like this i know you can't just walk in and shut things down because how many millions of employees we're talking about maybe it well i say i say that apparently javier malay has done exactly that although we'll see about the timeline on these things but uh, this is the thing is we have created he talked about um 
in after taking his presidential oath yesterday uh, on Sunday, Malay talked about ending a what did he say a, a long and sad history of decadence and decline, uh, and we're beginning this journey of rebuilding. I think he said something to that effect, if I remember the speech correctly. We are in America facing a long history of decline and growth and bloat in our federal government, specifically really in the executive branch. I mean, make no mistake, there are problems in the legislative branch. There are problems across the judicial branch. We addressed this at the beginning of the program, Ed with his wink, talking about some of the legalese that is being used to browbeat the January 6th patriots. But um, this is a moment that we are facing down. This name has been given the administrative state, and it's referring to our executive branch. It's referring to this massive bloat of bureaucracies that have more people, more money, more budget, fake money, fake budget being printed. You know, it it has more than it has a job to do. In fact, we're manufacturing jobs to come up with uh, space and time for these people to, you know, complete things. it's, It's absolutely astronomical. And really, someone needs to come in and bring... Some sort of, you know, I guess we'll call it the the Javier Malay sledgehammer to it to slash government by 50 percent. These federal agencies. Uh, And and again, that was, you know, that's where uh, the Libertarian Party was, you know, running amok with this when it comes to the things that they don't like. The IRS, the Fed, NSA, DHS, the FEC, FDA, CDC. I think all of us feel uh, pretty certain about the CDC at this point. They've been proven to be a bunch of lying crackpots. At least that's uh, by all accounts. I, I, I no offense. No offense to any family members you have that work at the CDC. I'm not referring to every employee, obviously, but the leadership of these agencies has gone off the rail and it's time uh, for a kind of slash and burn like we're seeing happen down in Argentina, the beginning of which has happened there. We need a president uh, and his cabinet who will boldly move forward and do this. We don't just need cuts uh, in little uh, surgical places. What we need is some serious reform, some serious knocking down of the current system and restructuring it in an entirely different way way that not only works for the American people and actually does the job that is needed from them, but it works inside some sort of manageable budget, some sort of manageable spending pattern that we can afford, because what we're doing now, we can't afford. We haven't been able to afford it for a long time. It's just that it, for some reason it hasn't crashed and burned yet, but we're getting closer and we need someone to step in boldly and do something about it. May this be uh, a, a an echo of, uh, not an echo, I should say, but a foreshadowing of 2024 for here in the United States. May it be. Let's say so here today. Thanks for joining us here on the Pro-America Report. Thanks for letting me close out with you. Go to ProAmericaReport.com. Excuse me. Get all the podcast standalones, the links and segments from past and today, and sign up for the email list while you're there. We'll see you back here tomorrow on the Pro-America Report. Have a good night, everyone. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.